Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. scriptures for us this morning and keeping our eyes focused on on really the point of Christmas. You may go ahead and have a seat and uh, we're going to spend some time in the word this morning as we're together. Uh, Before I get there, a couple of just family business things, announcement type deals I just want to mention to you. One is you might notice if you've been part of River of Life, we don't have an offering inside of our service. And uh, we don't talk about it often, but thank you for being a giver. If you're a giver, if this is your church home and you're a giver to River of Life, a couple of ways you can accomplish that is one, there's a box in the back as you are in and out of the sanctuary. You see that box off to the side and and, uh, you can place a check in there. Online giving is an option. Go to our website. You can give there or or you can set it up with your bank to have that come in but i just want to say thank you as we go into the end of the year uh you've been very generous this year and it's allowed us to continue ministry like miracle on 24th street 24 and a half street stuff like the lives change that we hear about this morning with the baptisms that's happening because of your giving and thank you for being a church that that loves people that loves the lord and, and is obedient to him in that area That's one thing. Second is this, is uh, something to let you know about looking down the road just a bit. Uh, It's more of a businessy change. Some of you will go, as soon as I say this. Others of you go, oh, that's really interesting. We're we're proposing to our membership a little bit of a change in how we set up our calendar year at River of Life. We've always functioned on a January 1st to the end of December calendar year. Our budgets run like that. Our terms run like that. But the reality is a church runs a lot like a school on the school year calendar. And so we're proposing that we switch to, in order to make us more nimble and able to be responsive and, and have budgets that actually reflect the vision for that coming school year, uh, switch to where we would start our budget year on September 1st. Those of you who are in business are going, oh my goodness, you can't do that because of, of your, you know, your quarters and things. But we don't use quarters like that because of the way a church is set up. So it's not the same. But we're looking at a change like that, September 1st to the end of August. It would allow us to be able to be more responsive more nimble and to be able to look ahead instead of mid-year changes say right now the way it is is in October we're casting direction for a year way out that's beyond where we're at right now and we want to be more able to just look at okay this school year what are we doing where's God taking us so we're proposing that change. We'll vote on it as membership at our annual meeting on January 26th. It would require a couple of changes to our bylaws. And uh, so those would be coming to you in that meeting. And uh, so I just want to let you know about that. If you have questions, you can talk to me, any of our governing board members, our elders. And we'd be glad to uh, talk to you a little bit about that. If you have more qu- um, any questions about it, come to us. Third thing is this. January is going to start a new exciting uh, series where we're going to tackle some of the difficult questions of life and faith. And, and uh, so I'd like some feedback and some input from you. In your bulletin is an announcement about this, but there's a link to an online survey. And I would like you to go on there and say, here's some of the top questions I have. Maybe you have something that isn't even on that list. And you could drop that in that offering box and I would get that and be able to see what that is. But we'll select some of the ones, the top ones that you choose. I'll probably pick a few. And uh, that's going to be our series beginning in January. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great series. And uh, we'll lean into that as we get to it in the new year. 
year, but that would help us as we lay track for it. So those are the three things. All right, if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and open to Romans chapter 6? As you do, as you're opening, I'm going to pray. Keep one ear along with me and uh, an eye as you're finding your spot in the Word there in Romans chapter 6, either on your device or in a Bible. Father, we thank you that uh, we can come in this morning. We can celebrate these great baptisms and your work in, in what uh, you've done in their lives. Lord, we know that the baptism didn't do any change as far as their salvation. It was a step of obedience. It was them saying they're united with you. They're a part of this body. And God, we praise you for that, that you're continuing to do your good work. Would you just continue carrying out your plan in their lives? And uh, God, we commit them to you. We ask for each one, uh, the children to grow up to be men and women who serve you wholeheartedly and walk with you closely through whatever life brings, that they be warriors for the kingdom. We pray for the adults and we ask that your blessing would be upon them. Guide them as parents, guide them in their walk with you. And uh, Lord, take them deep with you and make them also men and women who serve you greatly in in, uh, your purposes and plan. Lord, as we look at your word, we come to it this morning and I'm very aware that what we're going to look at is like serving a dense, rich dessert to our church today. And it may be more than we can even fully digest at whatever point we are in our walk with you or our thoughts about you. But Lord, I pray that you would meet each of us where we're at and Lord, that you would make it tangible for us. And Lord, we approach it with reverence because these are your very words spoken to us from God Almighty who created the universe. And God, we look at it with that lens. And we praise you that you gave us word. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you should have Romans chapter 6 in front of you. I'm going to read the first 14 verses out of this. Pay particular attention to what is Paul communicating in this? What does God want us to know in the word this morning? Look at the two different contrasts within this as I go through it. We're going to start in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, should we just, why don't we just keep living in sin? Because God's going to forgive us, right? And he says, well, by no means. We don't live like that. We don't make that kind of conscious decision. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Is that good news to you this morning? 
Look at verse 12. Let not, therefore, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. That's God's word to us this morning. Well, hey, how many of you over the Christmas season will participate in some sort of gift exchange game? Like a white elephant or a secret Santa. By raise a hand, put your hands up if you're going to do that this year. Okay, a lot of us do that. Every year we give gifts, we, we trade them back and forth. Just a couple of weeks ago at Thanksgiving, I was home with my family and we had an early Christmas together. We all brought a gift. It's a huge family. If we tried to buy a gift for everybody, we'd go bankrupt. So we have, we get together, everybody buys one gift and we bring it. And this year we played a game where we sat around and we would roll a dice and we went around the circle. And depending on what happened in the dice, it would tell us you're going to move your gift to the right or to the left or trade it across the room, or you get to pick any one gift and trade with somebody else. It was an awesome time, but here's one of the things you quickly learn in one of these secret Santas or white elephant gift exchange. Someone always brings a better gift, right? And there becomes one gift that everybody wants and they're kind of competing after and who will get that one gift. As we enter the Advent season and we look at the Christmas story, we're going to look at it through the angle of a gift exchange. We give a gift and God gives a gift. See, the entire story of the incarnation where Jesus came to this world, where God came through, the, through Jesus, his son, It's all about the giving of a gift. See, with God's interaction with man, ever since he created us for his purposes, and then sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, where creation was then condemned, where we then were were in need of somebody to save us because we're deserving of hell because of that sin, where we're separated from him, then the giving of the law, and then... Jesus, or God in his wisdom, gave his son Jesus to come to this earth in the form of a baby. And that little package became the greatest gift this world could ever be, be given. You see, when Jesus showed up on the scene, you could think of it like this. He was the ultimate gift. But some of you are going to have grandparents that are going to show up at your door around Christmas time. Some of you are grandparents and you will be this. And when the grandparents show up and they ring the doorbell, grandparents, just their presence alone, it's exciting, right? Their presence is a gift to the family that's receiving them. Then when grandma and grandpa walk in and many times they have their arms full of some packages and some gifts for the kids, they come in, they bear gifts that they bring. And then when they're there, they serve and they're giving in their time with their family. It's awesome to think of it in this way. Jesus is like that. When he came, it was his presence. He brings gifts to us. And he served. We're going to look at some different gifts that Christ brought over these next couple of weeks. We're going to look at a couple of these different gifts. But as we go into this series, a couple of revelations that will help kind of frame the way we look at it. Four of these. I just want to mention them to help us get thinking about it. If Christ coming in baby form and then growing up to be a man who gave his life up for us. What are some ways that we can be thinking about this? One of them is this. God's gifts are always better. Okay, He's the one at the gift exchange who brings the better gift. Once in a while when we look at that, we, that can actually hold us back. 
Because we go, well, God, what do I possibly have to bring to you? How can I take your gift if I have nothing to give to you? You see, our shame, our guilt, whatever it might be from our life, sometimes holds us back. And Jesus' invitation is to receive his gift. But I'm going to tell you something, not as God, but as your pastor, okay, about this. Get over it. He brings the better gift and you can enjoy it. You can have that gift even though he's bringing the better one. What do I have to give? We'll talk about those things over the coming weeks. Okay, another thing about this is God's gifts are things that we need. You know, many of our gifts at Christmas time are just excess. There are just more things, more stuff that we have in our life. And they're, they're fun. They're exciting. But really what God brings to us are things that we genuinely need, but we can get nowhere else. A third thing is this, as a, a frame, a revelation for us as we go into this series, is that God gives his gifts because he loves us. I don't want that to sound trite. We don't want to buzz past this and be like, oh yeah, of course he loves us. But think about this for a moment. God gives his gifts because he loves us. That means not because he's obligated to give gifts to us or he feels pity for us because of our condition. He gives us his gifts because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's out of love that motivates him to give these gifts that we're going to talk about. A fourth thing is this. God's gifts should be taken, opened, and used. If you want to be a good gift receiver, you've got to take that baby, you've got to open it up, and you better use that thing. You see, if you fall short in any of those three things, you really aren't being that great of a receiver. God gives us these gifts in order for us to take them, to open them, to be used. And we're going to use that as a frame of how we walk through these different things over the next couple of weeks. What does it look like to take, to open, and to use the gifts he gives us? Now, here's the amazingness of the season for us who know Jesus as Savior. Is that we know why he came. That his coming was a gift. When Christ came, he came to offer us different, a variety of different things. We're going to be able to look at just three of them over the next couple of weeks here. But the first gift we're going to look at is this concept of God's giving to us through Christ new life. And what do I have to give to him? My old life. And we're going to unpack that today and see what it looks like from Romans chapter 6. As we walk with Jesus, when we find Jesus as Savior, what does that look like in our lives? You know, we've all been through changes in life. Have you ever had a major change? Maybe you've uprooted and you've moved somewhere else. To get from one life that you wanted to leave and you go somewhere else to start new. Maybe there's a relationship and you've changed in a relationship in order to try to start over new. Maybe a new job where you're trying to get rid of something that you had in the past. Well, we do that because the new is better than the old. We're pressing forward to the better. Well, When we give God our old life, it's really just kind of minor in comparison with what we receive from him. When you think about the idea that this little life brought new life for his followers. This passage is going to unpack that. It's a great one to understand the symbolism of baptism and this description of this new life that Christ gives us. So in understanding Christ's gift of new life, we have to first do what with a gift? If I show up at a gift exchange and I'm going to hand it to you, Stephanie, what do you have to do with your hands? Reach out and take it, right? I won't toss it to you because I want to hang on to this. But you have to take it. You would have to bring it in. This is, I'll take that. It'll be mine. 
So it's received. How is it received? The gift of eternal life is received by faith. You might think, okay, I saw what's in these verses. So if I start living like one who has faith in Christ, who has new life, then I must have new life. If I try harder, I must be able to find it, this new life. Well, we don't get new life by any of those means. We get it simply by faith. Acts 16 verse 31 tells us about this. It says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That idea of believe is this concept of of faith. I place my faith, my trust. I believe upon him to be saved, not upon what I can do for him. You might even look at this and you would go, well, it was talking about baptism. So I bet by being baptized, I'm saved. But if we go down that train of thought, it contradicts, it would contradict all of what Paul taught throughout the New Testament. This idea that we're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Many of you know this verse, these two verses. For by grace you have been saved through baptism. Through what? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast in what they've accomplished. So, taking is really a receiving by faith. You know, many people see the gift of Christ. They admire it under the tree. They come around every once in a while and they go, that's a really neat looking gift. I like that. But few people actually take that gift Receive it. You know, if God is working in penetrating your heart and your life, you need to receive it. You know, you may have been taught, be cautious about Jesus. Be cautious about what a preacher says. Be cautious about God. I'm going to tell you, I can respect that. Because major decisions and major turnings in life, they need to be carefully calculated, carefully thought about. But... What will you do with Jesus is one of the most important questions that you're going to need to wrestle with in life. And no decision is a decision about Jesus that has eternal consequences. And when God is working in you, don't resist him. Don't ignore him. Now, taking the gift is really exciting. You got it. You get it in your hands. But what is the next step, Cody, when you get that gift in your hands? What do you do? Unwrap that baby, right? What's in it? You pull the wrapping off. You look at the gift. You're going to study the box, maybe even rip into the box, but you want to see what's in it. I want to know about this thing. I want to know what it is. And so God wants you to see the gift, to open the gift by unwrapping it, to take a really good look at the gift, to be gleeful and joyful about the gift, to be able to praise him for it. And so let's unwrap it for a minute and see what it looks like to actually examine that, to take it, to have it open in front of me. In those verses we read just a few minutes ago in Romans chapter six, Paul talks about two lives, the old life and the new life. As you look at those, particularly check out verses six through 10. Let's look at those again. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. We could make some simple observations, and we'll do that by drawing a little bit of a chart up on the screen about these two different lives that are described. Our old life that we offer to God and our new life that we receive from God. Let's see what those things are composed of. The old life has a condition, and the condition is this. Did you see it in there? This idea of being enslaved is our old life. We're enslaved to sin. We're under bondage. We can't get free. Yeah, I might be able to produce some good in my life, but none of that good is enough to actually free me. In the new life, the condition described is freedom. I'm actually finally, truly free. I can, I can walk without the bondage. What an awesome thing that is. Let's look at another thing about this. What is the master of both of these things? In the old life, described here, the master is sin. I live in sin. It has mastery over me. It's marked by sin and despair and fear and bitterness and, and pain and anxiety, depression, addictions. All of these things that sometimes mark the life of the old. The new life, though, the master doesn't become me. I don't find freedom by making me master, but by making Jesus master. That's different than the way I would initially think if I were just left to myself. I might think I would be free if I can just find myself. We're free if we find Jesus, according to the scriptures. Now, there's an illusion that sits in both of these. If you are looking from one spot or the other, we might think this. If we're in the old life, we, the illusion is that I actually do have freedom. But scripture says, no, you are a master to sin. You are locked in that. You're, you're enslaved to it. So the illusion, what's an illusion? A trick of the eye, trick, trick of the hand, right? It's the trickery here is that I'm actually free is what we think in the old life. Sometimes in the new life, we can bite onto the illusion that we're actually enslaved. <clears throat> that by following Christ, I have made myself enslaved to something that's not good. That's not true. Neither is freedom true in the old life. And so... In all of this, we have to think about the seriousness of this idea of becoming enslaved. I'm going to tell you a little embarrassing phobia about myself. Doctors, you might have a term for this. I don't know. But it's fear of claustrophobia of the feet. (laughs) It's true. I'll tell you why. Is it true, Rochelle? Okay. I don't know why this is. I have a theory, and I'm going to tell you the story. When I was in elementary school about this time of year the kids in the elementary school where the snowbanks were piled up would go climb up on them the older kids would and they would build traps these traps were uh, they dug down and then they dug over like the perfect shape for a boot to go right in we were like oh we're kindergartners we're not falling for that business and so we would go put our feet in them take them right back out and that seemed to always work until one time i went out and i put my foot down in one of those And my foot wouldn't come back out. And then my friends kept moving and they were gone. And then it got worse. The bell rang and recess was over and everybody went inside except for me stuck on that snow pile with my foot stuck in here. This is my theory, my phobia here. 
And so I'm stuck down in there and the teacher comes over and she tugs on me and she's pulling me and I'm not moving. So she says, hold on a second, wait out here by yourself. I'll be back. She comes back with the janitor who has a a snow shovel and he finally digs me out and I get free. Do you ever panic when you are enslaved to something? I was freaking out in that moment. And I still freak out. If my feet are stuck underneath like a, a backseat of a car and I have my feet underneath the chair and all of a sudden I realize I'll start sweating and I can't handle it. I think it stems back to that moment in my life. So Matt Pettit, can I see you later this week for that? Okay. Enslavement is serious business though. Especially when we're talking about enslavement to sin. Enslavement is not fun. It's not a good place to be. You see, in the, we would be amiss in the story if we didn't notice, though, the mercy of God that he would send his own son. That he would send his own son to be born a, a servant in a very humble way, but to give his life up for us. One day come across and give his life up for us on that cross. New life. Verse 6 says, For we have been united with him in his death, in a death like this. Sorry, that's verse 5. Verse 6 is what I want. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. No longer be enslaved to sin. We've been freed from it, we've been given the ability to walk out of that prison. Paul, by saying that, doesn't say, well, believers, you're no longer going to sin because we still have the old nature and there's a war between the old nature and the spirit, this new life. But through Christ's death and his resurrection, the bondage to that sin has been broken. And I praise God for that. And I love how he started this verse because inside of that freedom, he talks about something that we would know. Did you see it there? He says, we know. And the question is, do you actually know that follower of Jesus? Do you know this about yourself? Many authors have talked about our hearts being sin producing factories that function every shift of of every hour of the day. And constantly we will crank out new idols, new sins all the time. Think of it like this. In every community, meth is an issue across the U.S. What if our law enforcement gathered up one day and they said, next Saturday, we're going to do something special. We're going to get all the meth off the streets. And anyone we find who has it, we're going to forgive when we find it. We're not going to press charges against them. We're not going to arrest them. We're going to take it all off the streets. And it'll solve our problem. Would that solve the problem? It wouldn't. Why? Because there's more coming, right? Meth labs are still open and they would still be producing it. It would still keep coming. Well, would God stop short of dealing with sin but not the source? The sins are produced by us. And the blood of Christ covers our sins, but it also covers and takes care of the sin labs of the heart. The sin has been dealt with, but we also have been dealt with. An author named Watchman Nee said this in thinking about these verses. 
Do you believe that the Lord would cleanse all of our sin and leave us to get rid of the sin-producing factory? Do you believe that having put away the food produced, he would leave us to deal by ourselves with the source of the production? To ask this question is but to answer it. Of course he has not done half the work and left the other half undone. The finished work of Christ really has gone to the root of the problem and dealt with it. Paul says, know this. Understand this about yourself. If you are in Christ, the bondage has been broken. You no longer are a slave to it. And it's past tense. It's been done in the past. It's done with. It's over. Isn't that good news today? It's gone. Praise God for that. And when Jesus came with this mission to free us, it was the inauguration of the greatest gift that's ever been given to us. Baptism that we saw this morning is simply a symbol of that. It's this place, this great exchange that happens. And as we look at that, the symbolism of that great exchange. In the same way that, that in the Old Testament, circumcision was the mark of, of the follower of Christ, of God's people So baptism now in the New Testament is the seal of a person's relationship with Christ. And they're showing the church this, that they too believe and are in Christ. So baptism is an initiation rite, a proclamation of Christ's work. It's a symbol of this new life that's already happened in a person. Did you see verses 3 and 4 in chapter 6? It said this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I'm alive, my old life, I die to it, I'm buried with Christ, and I'm resurrected. It symbolizes the work that God has done in us. It shows just as Christ did, Christ was baptized, then he commanded us, Go and be baptized. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is this outward sign of an inward reality, something that's happened in the life of a believer. What a cool thing to see because it spurs me on. It helps me remember this. So I open the gift. I take it. I open it. I see what it is. But I've got to use that gift. Some of you might get a grill this Christmas. What a good gift, right? You open that thing up and you see it. And you go, that is an awesome grill. I can't wait to have a barbecue. You read everything on it about, about it on the box. You even open it up and you look at the directions and you see, okay, here's how I put it together and I need to assemble it. And when it gets together, this is going to be so cool. But have you really taken that gift yet? It's really not yours until you've, you've taken it, you've opened it, and then you begin to use it. How dumb it would be to just open that thing up and look at it and store it in the garage. Say, I've got this good gift. But yet that's what we do a lot of times in our faith, is we open it, we look at it, we study all about it, we are able to tell all kinds of other people about it, but yet we're not using it. And God says, here's an invitation to a gift. Come use this thing. Try it on. Verse 11 is a powerful truth. Look at this in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The power of this verse. You, my friends in Christ, have died with Christ. You've been crucified with him. 
And Paul says to us, consider yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves is the way I memorized that when I was young. I kind of like that word because it's a different word. It's set apart. Consider is so normal to me in some ways that reckon helps me get my head around it. In other words, count yourself or understand this. In the Greek, this word really has to do with, it's an accounting term. It's add it up. Do the math and add this up. Have you ever thought about this? In most of our lives, math is one of the only things that we can do that actually comes out with a, I know this is the answer. If I'm an artist and I I paint a picture, I could paint that picture, but I might not get it accurately. If I'm a historian, I might retell history, but I may not get it accurately exact. Math is exact. And God is telling us, know with exactness, I am as a follower of Christ, because I am in Christ, dead to sin. It has no mastery over me. Think of the practical nature of that. I know I don't have to fall right into this thing again. Calculate it. Check it out. Why do you believe that Christ died and he rose for you? You believe that because the Bible says that, right? Well, why would I believe that I am dead to sin and alive with Christ? Is it because I feel like that every day as a follower of Jesus? No way I don't feel like that every day. There are things tugging at me constantly, but I believe it because the word of God says it. Your heart has to follow the fact, not your fact following your heart. Part of using is giving my old life to Christ. Giving it up. Leaving it behind. Not turning back and going, God, can I borrow that once in a while? Because I, every Friday nights, every once in a while, I like to go back to that old thing. Giving it means I'm turning that over to him. There's this balance between two seemingly contradictory things. Because there's God's part, which is the freedom you have. And our part. See, many of us are like a prisoner who the gates have been opened. God, with mercy, opened up the gates. We're free. But we choose to continue to stay in that, that prison, or we kind of come in and out of it, back and forth between those two natures, that two, that, those two lives. Maybe it's because we don't really believe that it's possible. Maybe it's, it's like, well, God, could it really be that you would do that? I don't feel like that all the time. Maybe it's because we've grown to find safety in the old life. It's just like that old prison cell. Is, I've been there for years. It just makes sense to me. So I come back to it every night. Or maybe there's a side of you where it's just you just don't quite believe that the new life that God gives you is actually better. It's so good in that it's actually freeing. The nature, the old nature in us continually tries to call us back into the prison. You might be free, but living with a foot in the prison. I want God to do some of his redeeming work in my life now because it's a gift. It's promised to me that I can experience it in my life now. As we come to a conclusion today, I want you to listen to an African-American preacher named Tony Evans, as he talked about this concept in the light of a circus. Let's watch this. If you've ever driven to a circus, you'll see the elephants standing out on the parking lot, right? 
The elephants will be out on the parking lot. These huge, powerful beasts. But they don't go anywhere. They don't run. They don't move. You know why? Because they got a chain around one of their legs. A little teeny chain with a little teeny peg in the ground that these beasts could rip out any old time they feel like it. Because they got the power. They got the power. All they got to do is jerk that leg and that little peg would come out of that and rip that concrete and tear that chain. But they don't budge. You know why? Because they were taught ever since they were a little baby elephant that when you feel this chain, you have no power. From the time they were born, when you feel this chain on your leg, that means you are nothing, you are nobody, and you don't move. Because you're not here to demonstrate your power, you're here to perform. And we got a lot of Christians who aren't here to demonstrate their power, they're here to perform. And so you come to church on Sunday and you perform, but you don't have any power. You come, you drag in church with this chain on your leg. This chain on your leg, talking about, I'm coming to worship God, and I'm coming, and he's able with this chain on your leg, and he's so high you can't get over with this chain on your leg, and, and he's so wide you can't get around, and you got this chain on your leg performing for the circus. And the hell is laughing at you, eating its cotton candy with that chain on your leg. It's time for you to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get off of me. Let me go. Get that chain off of me. I'm free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free. Walk like it. Act like it. Are you free? Are you free? Are you free? Did Jesus make you free? Then walk like it. Talk like it. Act like it. Hold your head up high and be free. He set you free. He set you free. Amen, huh? Believer, Christ loves you. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but now in obedience present yourselves to God. That's your gift as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. God loves you. Believer, there's a gift in front of you. Porn, some sort of addiction in your life, some sort of place of sin, a secret part of your life, lying somewhere in your life where you're not pursuing God, who that hasn't been surrendered over to him. Who will save me from this? Jesus Christ will. Reckon yourself in Christ, dead to sin and alive with him. Living that resurrected life. Walk in obedience then. Some of you have not yet put a stake in the ground with a decision to trust Christ for your salvation. And because of that, you have no freedom yet. And you might listen to all this and you go, there's a bunch of good things I should start doing. Don't start doing them because you have no power to do those things until you know Jesus. Stopping drinking isn't going to help you at this moment. It's not going to help you be free. Breaking up something isn't going to help you. Forgiving someone isn't going to help you be free. Only Jesus will help you be free. To trust him to save you from your sins. And you have to take that gift. And it's right there in front of you. And this may be the day you've got. And maybe the only opportunity you hear this. Will you receive it? Would you bow your heads with me?
I believe that Jesus calls his people and his church into deeper intimacy with him. And maybe you've been sitting here today and you're like, man, it just goes round and round in my life. And it seems like I don't know what it looks like to walk in this freedom. Who will save you from that body of death? Only Jesus Christ. Would you turn to him, reckon yourself to him, consider yourself, calculate it. It is fact you are dead to sin. And then ask him for the help to move forward in obedience, even just today, for the next couple of hours. And to see that fleshed out in your life. Maybe it's for a long term and you're just like, man, now is the moment that God's calling me. I'm going to leave that completely behind. That's the call of God. Leave that old life behind and step forward in new life. You could do that right here. Trust him. Give it to him. I bet there's somebody out there today who has never really put a stake in the ground and said, Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. Your death it paid the penalty for my sins and I'm trusting you in that. No other way, not anything I can produce, nothing I can do in my own life can save me. Would you save me? Would you move me from being an enemy of the cross where I deserve hell and separation from you and instead move me into a relationship with you, Jesus? If that's you, call out to him in your heart today and say, God, save me from my sin. I trust you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. you've been wandering or you're praying that for the first time today would you just put your hand in the air just as the sign of only i am going to see that but just the sign of saying yeah that's where i'm at and i want to make this step with jesus today praise god father i pray your blessing over us as a church as we head into this advent season and we've been in the last couple of weeks we just pray that you would pour out your anointing on us help those who just place their trust in you or who who rejoined with you, who have been wandering and just haven't been walking with you. I pray that their walk with you now would be solid, that you'd help them to put roots deep. I pray that this coming week we would see you, that we would walk in this truth, that we'd be able to consider ourselves dead to this sin and alive in you. God, we praise you for your work. We praise you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have more baptisms down the road. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.